Okay, well, you'd like to turn to Joshua chapter 3. And uh, Jim's going to come and read Joshua chapter 3 for us. The reading this morning, my friends, is from the book of Joshua chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, that's about half a mile, I believe, between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gigashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the, Lord, Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Then now, <clears throat> choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing, up, flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great it piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerizam, while the waters flowing down to the Sea of the Arba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Thank you, Jim, very much. Then you will know which way to go, says Joshua to the people, since you have never been this way before. 
Now there's a phrase that probably describes most of us at most times in our lives, doesn't it? New parents have never been this way before. Hold tight, fix your seatbelts because they're in for a rough ride, aren't they, when the little ones come along. Newlyweds have never been this way before. It's all new. Just about every experience of life, we've never been this way before, have we? People are starting out on new businesses. They've never been this way before. Can fill you with both with a tremendous sense of excitement and also a measure of anxiety. Let's be sure we know what the book of Joshua is all about. It's not about embarking on the Christian life. That happened when they left Egypt. Remember that? That's when they began this life with God. That's when they started walking in step with God's spirit. That's when it all started for them. And the crossing of the Red Sea equated to their baptism at the beginning of their lives. It's not about entering into our final reward. Whatever else that might involve, it does not involve warfare. It will be all done by then. So it doesn't matter how many beautiful hymns assert that it is, it's not the final furlong. It's about entering fully into what we have in Jesus. It's getting into what we've been saved for. It's becoming instruments of salvation to the world. And we should note also that miracles are both numerous in the Bible and fairly restrained. You'll remember in the previous chapter, the spies went across the river twice and they got wet both times. Well, they might not have got wet, they might have gone by boat, but they certainly didn't walk on dry ground, that's for sure. There was no miracle for them, two crossings and no miracle. Yet when the people go across, they get a miracle. This is to make a specific point to them. God doesn't waste miracles unnecessarily. You'll know when we get to chapter 5, if we ever do, that the miraculous provision of manna that they've experienced for 40 years in the wilderness stops the moment they go into the promised land and they now have to start picking their own food and growing their own food. The miracles will cease. So we are to be miracle expectant, but not miracle dependent. Because our Christian life does not depend on miracles, even though we expect them, because God is a God of miracles. So now as they stand on the edge of their inheritance, this is what they've been saved for. This is where they're going to live out their lives for God. This is how they're going to change the world. And if I had a map here... If it was a book, it would actually unfold the crease there. And Israel is just about on the crease if you've got a map of the world. It's almost dead center. It's not dead center north to south because the earth is sort of unbalanced. Isn't it? There's more north than south. But roughly speaking, you can say that Israel is roughly central. And the purpose for God putting them here was deliberate. That living here for his glory, they're going to affect the lives of everybody who passes through. Someone said that if you go to Trafalgar Square and stay there long enough, you'll meet all your friends. Because if people travel any distance, they usually will end up in Europe. And if they come to Europe, they usually come through England. And if you come to England, you usually head for London. And if you come to London, Trafalgar Square is one of those places you will go. So most people who travel will travel through Trafalgar Square. So if you're prepared to put your bivouac up and not get moved on by the police, you'll probably meet all your friends here. And it was the same principle with the people of the Promised Land. If you're going from Africa to Egypt, from Africa to Asia or Europe, you will pass through the Promised Land. Because to the east of it is the Arabian Desert. And who wants to go through that? 
So there were three main highways going through there. That was the purpose. So they're going in to what God has saved them for. There's a river to cross. They could have crossed it in the same way the spies had done, presumably. It would have taken them a long time. But God has other thoughts in mind. And so the first thing he says, well, you're going into somewhere you've never been before, so keep a good look on the Ark of the Covenant. So don't lose sight of the Ark of the Covenant is a title for you this morning. Up till now, as they've travelled through the wilderness, you'll remember that the Lord was before them in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. That's how armies used to move in those days. When you had a massive army of huge numbers, it would actually be quite difficult to work out which is the front. If you're in the middle of two million people moving, it's quite difficult to work out where the front is. You could actually be heading off in the wrong direction. So they would actually create a pillar of fire. They would burn braziers at the front of an army moving forward during the night. And they would also have the cloud of the fire during the day so that people at the back would know which way they're going. Well, God's been doing that for them supernaturally. But when they camp, they've camped together. They've camped round the tabernacle, which of course contains the Ark of the Covenant. So all their tents face inward and they all see the Ark of the Covenant, the physical presence of the Lord with them. That's what they've been used to. But now it's all going to change. As they go into the promised land, even though they had the sense of the Lord's presence with them now, it's going to be different. The ark is going to be carried by them, but it's going to go ahead of them, not now in the midst of the marching column, but ahead of them. They need to follow the way, and by a good distance of half a mile. Again, the distance is not only to do with holiness, it's also so people can actually see it. If people are crammed right up against it, the folk at the back can't see but if everyone moves back half a mile, then the chances are they all spread out. Then everyone can see the Ark of the Covenant because this is an important moment for them. Everyone has to have a clear view of the Ark because it's going to be a sign of something special. It's not the box that's important, it's what it symbolises which is important, which is the presence of God. And two reasons are given for them to watch for the Ark. To see what happens. Two reasons are given for them. The first is in verse 4. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You're entering, says Joshua, into new territory. We've never been this way before. It doesn't matter whether others have been this way before. We haven't. So we need to watch what God is doing and follow his lead. That's what's basically implied in the Christian life. We are disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus simply follows. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not rocket science, is it? That defines us, isn't it? Wherever he leads, we follow. Sounds excruciatingly easy, doesn't it? But actually works out to be sometimes mind-numbingly difficult, doesn't it? At times, just follow, that's all. Come, says Jesus, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, he says to Matthew, who downs tours, gets up and goes with him. Misleadingly simple words, profound in their implications. That's what Joshua's saying here. We've never been this way before. The key is, 
follow the ark. And for that, you've got to be able to see it. So watch it and follow the ark. Wherever the ark goes, we will go. It will lead us through. When Thomas, you remember him from John 14, is talking, discussing about going different places, he said he didn't know where he was going, so how could he know the way? Do you remember what Jesus replies to him? He says, I, I don't know where we're going, so how can I know the way? And Jesus says, exactly. In the war, my father drove trucks and large vehicles and things with tanks on them and what have you. And he said they would have driving tests for the new guys driving lorries. Well, of course, in those days, you weren't allowed to use lights. So what they had was on the back of the axle of the vehicle in front was a white disc. And the vehicle behind it had a light that shone on the white disc. So from above, you couldn't see the light. So they would follow each other nose to tail, and they'd do convoys at night. He said, but what would always happen would be that one of the lorries would break down. So the lorry in front would disappear. And when, by the time they got it fixed, they wouldn't be able to work out where they were. And suddenly someone would get a glimpse of them over there. So they would turn left and go straight over there and get stuck in rivers and fields and all the rest of it because that actually wasn't the way to get there. That was the way to get there. You see, sometimes if God says, that's where I want you to be, we would take a shortcut, wouldn't we? Thinking we're cleverer and end up in a ditch or over a gorge or something. So Jesus says, the best thing is, I am the way. Stick with me and you will never get lost. In fact, you don't even need to know where you're going. I've met lots of people in my life, in Christian life, who know who they're visionaries and they know what the Lord wants them to do. I'm not like that. I suddenly find out what I'm doing when I get there, usually. I don't know whether you find that, but I, you know, I find out what I'm going to do when I've arrived, usually. And then the Lord says, how about you do a bit there, here, and then we move on. I, I usually don't have this long-term view, but I'm glad for that. Because it makes me stay with the one who says, I am the way. Watch the Ark of the Covenant. This is the way to go. So in spiritual terms, stay with the guide. Don't worry about God telling you which way to go. Oh Lord, I wish you could tell me what's going to happen next year and the year after. Actually, maybe it wouldn't be a good idea. Maybe better just stick with the guide. The second reason is given in verse 10. I'm always tempted when I read that, and Jim read it beautifully, but I'm always tempted to introduce termites into the middle of that list and, hope, and see if anyone notices. Or the ites there. But anyway, that was not. They're not among them. But this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out all these different nations. So by seeing the ark... Not only will they be sure they know the way, but by seeing the ark in the middle of the river, they will be able to be sure, absolutely sure, that God will do what he says, giving them enormous encouragement. It's a clear proof that God is with them as they enter the land to take hold of it. This is a big deal. Up to this point, they've just been trekking, wandering. Now they're going to be called to be an army and take other nations in battle. It's a scary prospect. So the amazing miracle of the drying up of the Jordan is going to be for them a lasting testimony that God is with them. I think it's one of the most frequently given promises of God. I am with you. Ever so easy to hear. 
and very good to take hold of. So it's important then that everyone has a good view. In New Testament terms, we keep our eyes on Jesus. The writer to the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't take them off. Keep following behind him. That will be the way through. Because if we don't, if we let our gaze slip off Jesus, what happens is that a problem comes along, we focus on the problem, and suddenly the problem is all-consuming, and suddenly the Lord we were following becomes a peripheral idea, almost a problem in himself. But if we fix our eyes on the Lord, it's not that the problem goes away, far from it, but the problem is kept in perspective and doesn't become the dominating thing it would otherwise. So keep a clear view of the ark. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Where is he leading you? More and more into the promised land. And by definition, none of us have been this way before. I ought to be preaching this on the January the 1st, really, oughtn't I? You know, it's a new year and all that. But we're nearly at the new year. The Christian year begins actually in a week, doesn't it? As Advent begins. Next week is Advent for the Anglicans who celebrate that always, but it's, that's the beginning of the Christian year, Advent. So we are nearly at the beginning of the year. None of us knows what the future holds, so watch, because God does, and we can trust him. Here's the second thought for you, verse 10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out before you all those folk. Verse 13. As soon as the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. The thing to remember about all of this, my friends, is it's grace. It's all of grace. Did you hear the emphasis? This is how you know that God will drive out the nations. This is how you know when you put your feet in the water, it will be God who stops the water flowing and sends it up in a heap. Would you have been, liked to have been at the front carrying the Ark of the Covenant? Would you? It's carried by about, I don't know, six, a dozen men on long poles, so long they actually extended beyond the Holy of Holies, so very long poles, so the men could pick it up and take it out without going into the Holy of Holies. And um, as they walk up to the river, the river is in flood. And uh, you can imagine the river, it's not very fast flowing, but it's... it's Pretty significant river flowing down. Would you like to be the guy at the front? Because Joshua said, the moment you put your feet in the water, then it will stop flowing. But you're the one that's got to put your feet in the water as it gets swept away if the water doesn't stop. Someone has to be at the front, don't they? They've been saved by grace. Remember that. Not all the Bible is written in chronological order, but some bits are. And Exodus is one of them. And here's a dramatic fact for you. I've probably told you before, but Exodus 20 comes after Exodus 14. All right, it's an important point. Because what happens in Exodus 14? They get rescued from Egypt. What happens in Exodus 20? They get given the law. So it cannot possibly be the case that they were saved because they kept the law because they didn't have the law for another six chapters, did they? Another two and a half months was when they had the law. So they are saved by grace first and given the law in order that they may know how to live as a result of having been saved. 
They have been kept by grace. Saved, nothing to do with them, saved by grace. They've been kept by grace. All through these wilderness wanderings, God has been providing manna. God has been providing quails. God has been providing water. God has been providing everything for them and they didn't do anything for it themselves. They just collect it and eat it and drink it and move on. Even their sandals aren't wearing out. Even their clothes aren't wearing out for 40 years. They are sustained by God. It's a wonderful picture of God's keeping power. They are kept by grace. Even when they didn't deserve it. In fact, quite the contrary. And they will win through, says Joshua, because of grace. It will be grace that takes them into their full inheritance. Not them, but grace. So the miraculous crossing is to remind them that everything is of God's grace. The land they will inherit was given as a gift to Abraham and his descendants. It is a gift from God to them. Though they will have to fight for it, it will be God who overcomes their enemies and sees them in. Saved by grace, kept by grace, winning through by grace. We live by grace. The moment we think it is by our own effort, we are on a slippery slope that leads us to legalism. It's what the book of Galatians is all about. We have been saved by grace. We are being saved by grace. And ultimately, when we stand before the Lord, we'll know it was all of his grace. Though we are called to live a life worthy of the calling we've been receiving, though we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, though we are called to make every effort to confirm our election and our calling, in the end, it boils down to this. We live by the Spirit. We walk in step with the Spirit. We trust in God and keep going on. If ever we think our salvation depends on us, we're in a bad place. It always depends on God. And my response to that is one of obedience. So to make progress in the Christian life is to understand this more than anything else, that everything is of grace. Not that I lay back and let God do it all. Oh, far from that. But I know it's all of God, which gives me now the motivation to contribute to it, to be partners with him. But it all rests on him. Grace, grace, grace. So the response to grace is always loving obedience. Verse 8. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the Ark reach the Jordan and their feet touch the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. This is what you do, and that's what they did. So the response to the grace of God is always one of loving obedience. Putting God's word into practice. Joshua had his instructions from God, and he passed them on to both the priests, Levites, and the people. And as the people and the priests and the Levites received their instructions from Joshua, they did exactly what they were told. Sooner or later, there's a time for putting faith into practice. There's your priests at the front, standing on the edge of the water. They could have walked right up to the water, hovered over the water with his foot dangling just over, but, but nothing was going to happen until you put your foot in the water. Some have said that in the past and in since, there have been stoppages of the uh, Jordan River when there's been a 
um, an earth fall and it's blocked the river. So that could have happened here. I'm not so sure the way that it was told because at the point they are, we're told that the water dried up to Adam, which is 16 miles upstream. So if, as they put their feet in the water, there was an earth fall 16 miles upstream, it would take some time for the water to drain down before it would finish past here, wouldn't it? But the way Joshua has recorded this here is at the moment they put their feet in the water, the water parted. It sounds like it's backing up 16 miles up. It sounds like God is pushing it backwards to a heap up at Adam and it all becomes dry. This is a miraculous crossing. And next time we'll see what they have to do as a part of it. But sooner or later, as we follow the Lord, there are opportunities for us to put into practice what we believe, to make our faith work, to do what God asks of us, and to do it with loving obedience, not because we must, but because we may. And to watch God at work. He will do the miracle, but we have to contribute our faith to it. So the priests then walk into the river, which is now dried up, and stand there. I wonder how they felt. Standing there when a flood is about to come down again. Stand there, symbolizing the presence of God as they go through this obstacle. There's nothing too great that God cannot see you through it. And standing there, the people pass by, not one at a time, that would take a very long time. You can work it out yourself. 2.5 million people, one at a time, would take a very, very long time. So forget that idea. That's why it was 16 miles up the road. They went off mob-handed. They went across in thousands. Otherwise, it would have taken them forever. But all of them did so in front of the ark, conscious that God was there in the midst of the deep river, watching them through. So who knows what's going to come, but our task is to watch out for the ark. You've never been this way before? Keep looking at God. Trusting God. It's all of grace. And our response to God's grace is always one of loving obedience. And here's a thought as I close. All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground was the way our chapter finished. All Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You know who God wants to get into the fullness of the Christian life? Everybody. Everybody. That's why we belong to the body of Christ. That's why we're part of the church of God. That's why we meet on Sundays and on Tuesdays and other occasions as well. Because we're in it together. So as God moves us forward, we move forward together. Not just some and the others can go hang, or, well, if you can't travel fast enough, you can't come with us. It's for all. All of Israel passed by until the whole nation, the little ones, the older ones, the fat ones, the thin ones, the tall ones, the short ones, all the folk crossed over on dry ground. We should remember that God wants all his children to take hold of life in all its fullness. Let me pray. Father, on this beautiful day, in this lovely chapel, it is very easy to sit back and nod in agreement that we believe you to be the God of all faithfulness, the God who is good and whose love endures forever.
to affirm all the elements of our faith robustly. But we know, Lord, that on colder and windier days, both physically and metaphorically, it will be harder for us to rest in you. But that's what you call us to. So we who do not know what's coming next, trust you who do. Will you help us to walk with you, to follow you who are the way, to walk in step with your spirit, neither going ahead of him nor to the side? Will you help us to trust you, Lord, trust you to do what you have said you would do, to hold us and to keep us and to see us through? We don't know what obstacles we will face in the future, either collectively as a group or individually as families. But we trust you, Lord, to see us through every single one and to see us into our inheritance. That day by day, as you encourage us forward into unknown territory, as we walk in obedience, we will know the joy of life in all its fullness. So pour out your spirit upon us, Father. Help us to trust in you and to bring glory and honour to your name in how we live. For Jesus' sake, amen.